So last Sunday, we started studying chapter one of the book of Ephesians. And um, my plan was to go through the whole chapter, the 23 verses, but of course that was impossible. And we just had the time to cover verse one and two, basically. And just do a brief overview of the chapter, how it is, um, what's the outline, and we talk about, uh, well, how we see Paul's uh, style in this book, and how this chapter, chapter one, is just a, a long prayer, and we discuss that maybe we don't even know where that prayer ends, because it seems like chapter one and chapter two, they are connected, and some people believe, some scholars think that uh, actually, this long prayer ends in chapter 3. Uh, we also talk about, well, that the chapter is divided in, in three sections. Section number 1, covering verses 3 and 4. That is basically a, um, a blessing. You know, blessing God uh, for all His love and His uh, spiritual blessings that He had poured out uh, to us through Jesus Christ. Uh, verses 5 to 8 uh, talks about adoption. So Paul will speak about uh, being chosen by God with a purpose. Um, and then finally, in verses 8 to 14, uh, as part of this long introduction to the book, uh, Paul uh, speaks about God's plan for eternity revealed and his spirit given as a guarantee. So today we will continue from where we... Um, um, from uh, where we left last Sunday, and we will start with verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, it says, I'm reading from the ESV version, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him. Now, pay attention to that. That... that um, Idiom there, that, um, what's it called? Idiom that Paul uses there in him, in Christ, is something, it's, it's like a pattern. You will see it along, a chap, you know, across chapter 1 and even across the whole book of Ephesians. So it's, Paul says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So Paul here, he starts by... Um, evoking ancient temple language, uh, and he opens uh, his introduction with a long prayer of blessing to God, the creator and father of, uh, the people, of, of his people, father of Israel and now father of the church. Uh, and in the book of Psalms, for example, that for, for, uh, for uh, the Jews was uh, a key part of their loved God, a key part of their spiritual lives. They will sing the psalms, they will uh, recite the psalms, even Jesus on the cross in his final moments, he prayed Psalm 22, 1 Eli Eli lama sabachthani which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was quoting the psalms. So psalms for for Hebrew was uh, a key part, a key section of uh, their spiritual life. And, um, and here we see Paul Jewish men, uh, quoting or going or using the same style that we see in the book of Psalms. Now, the book of Psalms is composed by how many books? You know that? It's divided by sections. So we have five books 
five books. The book of Psalms, the 150 chapters, is divided into five books or five sections. Now, it's interesting because at the end of each of those sections, uh, the psalmist will end with uh, praise to God, with uh, uh, an expression of praise and with uh, a blessing to God. So, for example, Psalm 41.13, Psalm 41.13 says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. So, that's the end of the first book of Psalms, the first section of the book of Psalms. Now, Psalm 72.19 says, Blessed be His glorious name forever, may the whole earth be filled with His glory, amen and amen. Psalm 89.52, the last verse in uh, section 3 of the book of Psalms, says, Blessed be the Lord forever, amen and amen. Psalms 106.48, verse 48, says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen, praise the Lord. And finally, Psalm 150, verse 6, says, Let everything that has breath... Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So, blessing God was an essential piece of Israel's uh, uh, cult or worship to the Lord. God is presented here by Paul in chapter 1 as the Father you know, of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah. That's what we just read in verse 3. And uh, His fatherhood is extended to us since we have believed in His Son, Jesus. And because we have believed, the Gospel of John says, John 1.12, that those who believe, they, they have the right to be called, what? Children of God. Right? So God the, God, the Creator, now becomes our Father through believing in His Son, Jesus Christ. That's, in a nutshell, that's the gospel. Uh, now, our, I, our identification as the people of the Messiah, now we are God's people, our positional reality in Christ, now we know that we are seated and heavenly, in, in the heavenlies with, with Christ, right? We are seated in Christ um, by believing in Him. And our unity to Jesus and our unity to the church, all those things... Uh, are part of this whole spiritual theme, which is that we are now children of God, that we have the right to become children of God. The Father have also predestined us for adoption, says there in chapter 1 of Ephesians, through Jesus the Messiah, and now we are ben beneficiaries of spiritual blessings, and we see that in chapter 1. Three things that we receive through Christ, spiritual blessings. Number two, Kingdom authority. Kingdom authority. And number three, an inheritance in heaven. So, what we have in Jesus? Well, we have spiritual blessings. Now, what are spiritual blessings? Gordon Fee, the famous Pentecostal theologian, Gordon Fee, he says that spiritual blessings refers to all that God's spirits Spirit brings to enable life. In other words, how we live our Christian life or what 
we feel, what we experience when we come before the Father, all that is part of our spiritual life and all that is possible because of the spiritual blessings that we have received in Christ. Okay? So you can, you can think about the fruit of the Spirit, for example. That's part of what Paul calls spiritual blessings. Uh, the gifts of the Spirit, as they are in 1 Corinthians 12, in Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 11, Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, or, uh, where Paul speaks about different ministries, and because to you know, carry on with a ministry, you will need a gift, and all that is given by the Holy Spirit. So all those are spiritual blessings that we have received through believing in Christ Jesus and because we are in Him. It's interesting, I was thinking this week, as I was preparing this, uh, this lesson, that we have been told so many times, um, you need to accept the Lord, you know, into your heart. And for us, well, that's the gospel that we have received, and the message of the gospel that we have learned since, you know, Billy Graham in the, in the 60s, right? That's the gospel, Jesus coming into your life. But we don't, we don't listen much about us now being in Christ. Us coming now to Christ. Which is uh, what Paul is explaining here in the book of Ephesians. Because the fact that you believe that Jesus is coming into your life. Okay, that's awesome. That's okay. That gives you understanding of your new life in Christ now. That gives you understanding of the peace that you can now enjoy in Christ. But where is the kingdom authority? Where is the, the commission now to go and manifest the kingdom of God on earth? Right? We understand that. We grasp that when we um, get to know that we are actually seated in Christ. That we are with Christ. That our inheritance is in heaven. And that we have the high calling from God to manifest his power and authority on this earth. Um, Paul here describes also in chapter 3, verse 18, he says that this mystery, what we are discussing today, is like, uh, it's, for us, it's, it's hard to understand, for sure. It's like the breadth and length and height and depth of God's immeasurable riches in Christ. That's, you know, that's what we're talking about here. It's something... Not easy to understand at first. That's why we need revelation. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the Word of God. In this sense, also the body of believers have not only been blessed by the Blessed One. You know, you see the word in there and how Paul is uh, playing with that. Uh, he's, he, blessed, he blesses the Father. Blessed be the Father of our Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ who have blessed us. So it is like God is blessed by us because we have been blessed by Him first. So it is like a two-way street. He blesses us, and because He blesses us, we now what? We respond with blessings to Him, right? He has given us so much, and now our reaction, our response to all His blessings is worship. Even more, when we, have, when, when we see Him in action, when we see Him working among us, when we see His glory, 
our immediate response to the glory of God will always be praise. Praise to God and worship to God and service to God. That will be our response every time we see Him in action, every time He manifests His glory in our lives. Don't you agree with me on that? Yes. We praise Him because He deserves all our praises, but also not only because He is the one who deserves the praises of the earth, Psalm 150, everything that has breath, praise the Lord, but also we praise Him because He has shown us that He loves us so much that He decided to send His Son to uh, pay the ransom for our sins. So now we can be delivered from the fear of death. We can be delivered from sin and guilt. We can be delivered from the kingdom of darkness. And now we have been moved into the kingdom of light. The kingdom of the Son, Jesus Christ. That's just amazing how Paul describes all this. And in, in, in these in, in this two verses, verses 3 and 4, he also speaks about God choosing us, electing us. And it's interesting because that uh, connects with the gospel of John. In John fifteen sixteen, Jesus says, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Clearly for Paul, everything was of God. Uh, William, William Barclay uh, says in his uh, commentary, It would not be so wonderful that men should choose God. The wonder is that God should choose men. So in Paul's mind, the purpose of God's choice is also our sanctification. He has chosen us so we can be now what? Holy. We can live a blameless Life in Him. So the purpose of our, of our election, our predestination, it's our holiness. It's that now we can live a life that is worthy of His name. So uh, Paul uses here also temple language to describe the state of separation and difference from the world. Where, where, where he speaks of us as holy ones. Or in verse 3, when he says that we have been chosen... To be holy, he's using uh, word, uh, you know, temple language. Uh, he was because in the, the temple was described as a holy place. Why? Because it's, it was different, and it was completely separate to the rest of the world. It was the place that God decided to show and reveal who He is and reveal His glory. So, uh, Paul here he is reflecting bo- both the context of cult, temple, and sacrifice, and we can connect that to Romans chapter twelve, where he speaks of us as living as a living sacrifice to offer our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Right? And that's temple language, and and then he also speaks about ethics, so you can live a, a blameless life. You know that nobody will be able to point fingers at you because you are following God's will, and, that, and you are um, living out His word and His commandments. And that, all that is only possible through the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul speaks about holiness and sanctification in the context of spiritual blessings and, our positional, uh, and also our position in Christ. Otherwise, we will just speak about morality. But here we are speaking about spirituality. Spirituality is higher than morality. We can live moral lives because we have the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, we will, we will, we will just be trying. 
you know, without any fruits. So um, in Israel, in Israel, the temple was holy because God chose to manifest His glory, power, and authority there. In the same way, the believer is holy because God uh, decided to send His Holy Spirit to dwell in us. God manifests His glory, power, and authority over our lives to use us for His purposes. So that's why we... We are God's temple. And it's interesting and it's important that we understand this. From an individualistic point of view, we are God's temple. Paul speaks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where he says that we are God's temple. I think it's chapter 6, actually. Um, but as a body, as a church, we are also God's temple. We are the new temple. The new temple of God on earth. Where now creation can come to church, can come to us, and experience the glory of God. That's our call as the church. The purpose of the temple in the Old Testament was to unite God with His people, so that both can enjoy communion. That's the purpose of a temple. To have communion. Heaven and earth, they meet in the temple. The God, the Almighty God, meeting with His people. The church, as the, as the body of Christ on earth, is the new temple where creation has the possibility of being reconciled with the Creator and enjoying the communion that was lost in the garden. And all that happens here. That's why it is so important for us to open our doors and let the people come and meet the Creator. And they will meet Him by seeing His glory, His power, his authority being released and being manifested in the midst of the holy ones, which, which is us. We are God's holy people. So as God's people, we carry with us the commission of being God's ambassadors too, to the world. And Paul will speak about that later in his, uh, in his letter uh, to the Ephesians. God has blessed us and chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And that's uh, something that you will read in verse 3 and 4. Uh, so we can walk in the good works which He also prepared beforehand. So it's interesting here the language that Paul uses to talk about predestination. And I, and I will not discuss that from you know the classic idea of Calvinism versus Arminianism. I don't know if you are familiar familiar with both. Um, in the context of the letter, Paul is speaking about God predetermined certain things for us. First of all, he predetermined that we will be chosen. Because he chose us, it says, before the foundation of the world. He thought of us. Apostle John, later on, he will say, we love God because he first, or he loved us first, right? So, we see God having always the preeminence. So first, God predestined us before the foundation of the world for our adoption. Number two, we just learned it. God predestined us so we can now walk in holiness to live a blameless life. And number three, according to chapter two of the book of Ephesians, God had predestined good works for us so we can live this life and we can um, live out those good works that he appointed to us before even the foundation of the world 
Of course, all that is a mystery. It's, for, it's hard for us to understand how God is. But also, it gives to God the glory because He's over time. He's controlling times. He's the God, you know, He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Let's move now to verses 4 and 6. It says, In love, He predestined us for adoption, and just talk about that, to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In the Beloved. So God's election, verse 4, goes hand in hand with His predestination. He has predestined, predestined us, appointed beforehand to something, which is adoption. And this is crucial in Paul's writing, because if we understand that we all have been adopted, not because of our race, not because of our social status, not because of our cultural background, not because of our of you know how mu- how much money we have in our bank accounts not because of our name but because of his will it says there because of his will if we understand that we are all children of god that the church is composed by children children of god and god doesn't make differences between his children you know all those divisions that we have built for centuries they will calm down because at the end of the day, we're just one, one body, one family in Jesus Christ. And that unity is a key theme in the book of Ephesians. Paul will speak about that in chapter 4, where he says one, one spirit, one baptism, one, one church, right? Uh, in, verse, uh, in verse 4, just like we read, he says that he predestined us for adoption to himself. Uh, according to the purpose of His will, for the praise of His glorious grace. For the praise of His glorious grace. Again, uh, and, and this is a pattern you will see in the book of, in the first chapter of Ephesians, in verse 6 and verse 12. Uh, everything is for the praise of His glory, the praise of His name. Um, which connects with the Old Testament, where Israel, they existed for the praise of God, or to the praise of God. Um, God's plan is to reveal His glory to His people and through them to all the nations of the earth. When God reveals His glory, praise is the result. When God reveals His glory in in your life, in my life, uh, in our lives as a church, praise will be the result. So sometimes when we come to a service, it seems hard for us to connect with the worship. And Many times that happens because we forget to think a little bit about everything that God has done in us. Because when you take, the mo- take a moment to think, to meditate on who He is, what He's doing, and where He's taking you, then you will praise His name. So also Paul says that all this happened in the beloved, which is a, a beautiful term to refer to Jesus, the beloved, the beloved one, the beloved of the Father and the beloved of the church. We love Jesus, don't we? He's our beloved. 
He's the place where we can find shelter, where we can find uh, peace and, and love. Verses 7 to 10, it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to the purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. And we have said that that's the, the key verse of the whole book, verse 10, to unite all things in Jesus, in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. So redemption... That's a word that we usually connect to the idea of atonement, right? That Jesus um, paid the price for our sins. That Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was um, the way that God decided to forgive our sins. That someone needed to die, and Jesus died on our uh, place, in, in, in our place. But actually, the idea here is that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was the ransom, the ransom God paid for our freedom. You need to understand that our doctrine of atonement, sometimes we have built that doctrine around tabernacle language and temple language, and we forget that actually the atonement is connected to the story of the exodus of Israel. And all that took place in a context of oppression, of slavery. Remember the story in the book of Exodus? Israel, they were slaves in Egypt. And we know that Egypt, in that sense, represents darkness, the kingdom of darkness. We know that Pharaoh represents, in a way, represents uh, Satan, right? Who had, the, who had the authority over our lives because of our trespasses and our sins. So if you connect both ideas... You will, it is pretty clear that the blood of Jesus, the Passover lamb, the Lamb of God, has, uh, was uh, poured out for our freedom. That in Jesus now we are free because He paid the ransom. He died for us. So, so He became our exodus. Jesus is our exodus in that sense. We have been moved from slavery into freedom. Now we have a promised land before, before us. And of course, all this, uh, all this uh, life on earth that we now live uh, together as a church, sometimes it feels like a desert, right? Like Israel, you know, going into the desert. But there's a promised land. as the inheritance that Paul speaks about here in chapter 1 of Ephesians. So when we talk about Jesus' sacrifice on the cross... I, I invite you to think about him paying the ransom for our sins. Paying the ransom for our trespasses. And in him, God unfolded his eternal plan of salvation, which is the reconciliation of heaven and earth. In other words, to open a way back to the Garden of Eve. You know, God shut the door of the Garden of Eve after Adam and Eve sinned. Remember? So God decided to open that door again through the blood of Jesus. Now, as the book of Hebrews will speak about, we have access to the presence of God through Jesus Christ. So in Paul's mirror letter, which is 
Colossians. You will find a lot of Ephesians in Colossians and a lot of Colossians in Ephesians. Um, Paul explains that through the story of the Messiah's death and resurrection, God sealed his final victory over the devil. In those events, God disarmed the rulers and authorities that held us in captivity, canceling their legal demands and removing their authority over our lives. Let's, let's go now to Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross, and he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. When did that all happen? Well, it happened the day that Jesus died on the cross. God disarmed the rulers and authorities, which is a term that Paul will use again in the book of Ephesians. Even, even more, the Apostle John Reinforcing Paul's argument of God's adoption for the purpose of our holiness, he points out to the manifestation of the Son of God on the cross for the purpose of destroying the works of the devil. Let's go now to 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. 1 John 3, 8. It says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to... To what? Destroy the works of the devil. So now John agrees with Paul in Colossians about the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and or the purpose of that sacrifice, which is the forgiveness of our sins, yes, through his blood, but also to pay the ransom, to destroy the works of the devil, to disarm the rulers and authorities. And even more, in the book of Hebrews, we, in Hebrews chapter 2, 14 and 15, we read, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Speaking about Jesus' incarnation. That through death, Jesus' crucifixion, he, Jesus, might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. And deliver, you see the Exodus uh, story here, deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. In a word, Jesus' death on the cross and when we believe in him, we are released from captivity. We are now uh, part of his people and he because he paid the price now he paid for our freedom and on the cross Jesus destroyed the works of the devil Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and Jesus delivered all of us who before him we were slaves slaves in what? in our sins slaves to our sins slaves to guilt and slaves to fear of death Slaves to fear of death, which is 
at the end of the day, the message of the gospel is about hope. What, what, what kind of hope? The hope of the resurrection. So all that was accomplished by Jesus on the cross. God's saving work took place through the pouring out of the blood of the Passover lamb, Jesus. Through his blood, now we have forgiveness of sins and can enter into his presence with thanksgiving. And through his blood, we have been taken out of exile and now have been reconciled with God and called to be part of his people. Also, through his blood, we have God's protection and power to defeat sin in our lives and to keep manifesting the wisdom and eternal plan of God to all people. In other words, Jesus' work of redemption has released us from death, sin, and guilt. And all this took place in accordance to, as Ephesians put it out, you know, puts it there, in accordance to the riches of His grace. In Christ, God had also given us His divine wisdom and insight. Now, through the Holy Spirit, we can understand this. Through the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, we can um, understand the will of God. We can understand the mystery of His will. As explained in, in verse 10, the mystery of God's will that Christ came to reveal to those who believe in Him is God's operation of gathering, of uniting, of you know, bringing reconciliation to all things. Things on heaven and things on earth. So now we have been reconciled to God. And he is, on, he is in heaven. The Father is in heaven. We have been reconciled to Him. But also on earth, we have now, we can taste God's reconciliation. And now we can be one with other people. We can be now one with, uh, with God's family. Uh, this is something that Paul will speaks about too, also in Philippians chapter 2, verses uh, 9 to 11 it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see the, the language is so similar to Ephesians. To the glory of the Father. To the glory of God. So in the fullness of time and through the crucifixion of the Messiah. God effected a cosmic reconciliation in him. And God set in motion his plan of recreation. To recreate all things. Things on heaven and things on earth. The new heaven and the new earth. The new Jerusalem that Apostle John speaks about in the book of Revelation. Let's move now to verses 11 to 14. 11 to 14 it says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Let's stop there. Paul says, We who were the first to hope in Christ. Who he's speaking about here? Well, he's speaking about Israel. They were the first to receive um, the invitation of God to come to Him. They were the first to receive God's uh, calling to be His people. And when did that took place? With the with with, with calling of Abraham, the father of Israel, the father of the circumcision. And then God, uh, even more, 
um, carry out this operation through Moses and through the Exodus, and then uh, with, which, uh, with the, the giving of the law, which is actually the testimony of God's will to redeem His people. Just as the Holy Spirit is the testimony of God forgiving our sins. How do you know that you're a Christian? Well, because I go to church? No. Well, because I read the Bible? No. Well, because I study the Bible? No. There are people that are not Christian and they are studying the Bible sometimes even better or more than us. What's the mark of a Christian? Well, you can say love. Well, define love. The mark of a Christian is the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. That's the seal. That's the guarantee. That's God's uh, seal over our heads that we are His. That we are His children. So, um, so here Paul is saying, Israel, they were the first to hope, they, or they were the first to receive the testimony of God or the invitation of God to come to Him. And then he, carry on, he carries on and says, In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance and until we acquire possession of it, of it to the praise of his glory. It's interesting here how he, Paul, he uses the word in him, you also. Now he's talking to the Gentile Christians. You also Gentile. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believe in Jesus, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which is like mind-blowing in the book of Acts, right? For Peter and for the apostles. Whoa, the Holy Spirit is being poured out over Gentiles too? Whoa, because they thought that, that was just a promise for Israel. book of Joel speaks about that, and Joel was a minor prophet, prophet of Israel. right? I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons they will prophesy, and your you know, elders they will have dreams and visions. Uh, but Paul was called to the Gentiles. And we know that because he speaks about that in the book of Acts chapter 9, 22, 26, and Galatians chapter 1. I've been called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations, to the Gentiles. Even more, when he was in prison in Acts 28, 28, he says, This salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen, said Paul, while he was in prison. And yes, we did listen. Now there are billions of Christians in the world. Millions of Christians and billions, billions, billions of Christians that are already enjoying eternity with the Lord. Christians that were born in other parts of the world, not only in Israel. Because God is the God of nations. Um, and Paul here says that all this came to happen through the word of truth. Which is uh, something that you will read about in the, in the, in the Gospel of John. So... Um, both Jewish and Gentile Christians have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit by believing in the Messiah, who, like a royal seal, protects and preserves Christians until they reach their inheritance. Verses 15 to 23. 15 to 23. It says, um, For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remember you in my prayers. God, uh, Paul was a man of prayer. We know that, right? 
Um, more than just a man of doctrine and great teaching, he was a man of prayer, even before his conversion, because um, when, when he experienced conversion in Acts chapter 9, the, uh, right after that, he spent three days in prayer. So it is not something that he actually developed with time. When he experienced the living Christ in his life, the first thing he did was to humble himself down before the Lord and pray. So he was a man of prayer. And prayer is vital for us Christians. So uh, um, here Paul prays that the church will gain deep insight into God's operation in and through Jesus. It says, uh, for this reason, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards the saints. So Paul uh, speaks here about two things. It's interesting how he connects the faith that the Ephesians uh, had in the Lord Jesus and the love that they will show toward all the saints. So we, there's a connection there between faith and love. And we know that Paul likes to speak about faith, love, and hope, right? The uh, Pauline uh, trinity, if, if you will. Uh, but here he speaks about the faith in the Lord Jesus. And Paul highlights the Ephesians and the undisputable faith in the Lord and their love for all the saints. In doing so, Paul connects faith in Jesus with practical love towards others, especially of those of the same faith. And also in this model of prayer, we see three things. Number one, that prayer should be a lifestyle, more than just a habit, a lifestyle. We should spend our lives in prayer, constant prayer. Number two, prayer should be filled with thanksgiving to God for the lives of others, gratitude. This is an important weekend for us, thanksgiving. Let's show some gratefulness to others, not only to God, but also to other people, to our family, to our children, to our parents. Number three, our prayers should include intercession on behalf of others, selfless prayer. We need to pray for other people rather than just spend our time with the Lord, just praying or bringing requests for our own benefit. Verses 17 to 18 says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So for, for, the, for the Jewish nation, uh, it was common for them to pray for more wisdom. It was common for them to pray for light. You know, God, God and please enlighten our eyes so we can see your glory, so we can understand your word. Um, so Paul is using that uh, Jewish language again, and he's teaching us that every time that we come to, to the Lord in prayer, every time we're about to open scriptures, what do we need to do? Pray. God, help me to understand your will for my life. Um, Paul prays for God's provision of wisdom, revelation, and knowledge to the saints in Ephesus. And also Paul's prayer is directed to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in, which is in no way is denying Jesus' divinity. Actually, Paul, what he's doing there, he's saying Jesus is, um, is human. He's, he's 100% God and 100% human. It's that dual nature of Jesus, right? We, we, we understand Jesus as having that dual nature. He's God, but also He's man. He's the Son of God and the Son of Man. And, and as the Son of Man, He loves His Father. And, and that's how He modeled prayer for us. You need to come before your loving Father and acknowledge His care and, and acknowledge His uh, persona and pray to Him with thanksgiving, with praise, and with love.
so his intention here, Paul's intention is clear, that people will receive revelation to know what they have in Christ. To know what they have in Christ. And when we come before Scripture, we need to pray the same. God, help us to understand what we have, who we are in Christ Jesus. What is our identity? What is your plan? And what is our future? There is a lot of problems nowadays with identity. A lot of discussion you know, around that. Our, the newer generations, they don't know who they are. They're trying to figure out, you know, what gender uh, am I? Uh, you know, what, what, what I'm supposed to do with my life. That's why we see su uh, suicidal rates, you know, going up and up and up. And uh, back in the days, people would commit suicide when they were in the 40s or 50s. Now we see teenagers committing suicide. That's because there's a lack of identity, a lack of plan. I don't know what's my purpose in life. Well, we need to understand God's purpose in life. And we need to understand who we are going to Scripture. But the only way that we will be able to understand Scripture is through the Holy Spirit. That's why our generations, the newer generations, all the generations, they live a fresh, the fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit. That will open our eyes to understand our identity, our possession, our position, and our future. So the Holy Spirit gives us insight into God's Word and helps us to live a life in accordance with His will. Verses 19 to 21 says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Paul is speaking about Paul is speaking here about the spiritual world, something that he will uh, explain more in chapter 6. And he uses five uh, terms to describe the spiritual, the spiritual world. He uses the word rule, authority, power, dominion, and name. Rule, authority, power, dominion, and name. And he says that Jesus is over all that. Uh, we need to remember what's our hope. And that's why in verse 18, he, he, he speaks about hope, the hope that we have in him. What's our inheritance in the saints? And what's the power in Christ? Actually, the book of Ephesians, if you want to understand what power is, what's, you know, what we talk when we say, you need God's power. You need the power of God um, manifesting, uh, uh, being manifested in your life. You need to go to the book of Ephesians. There's no other book in the New Testament that will speak more about power than Ephesians. So here Paul says that God's power, it's immeasurable great. Immeasurable great. That's, 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 that's how he describes the power of God. We need to remember that in ancient Ephesus, the spiritual powers of this world had a great protagonism. In this sense, in Ephesus, we know that the city was, uh, you know, the Ephesians, they were after astrology, magic, and the occult. And, and those things were common things to the average Ephesian. You know, they believe in magic. And we see that in, in the book of Acts, chapter 19, where, where we see Paul preaching, proclaiming the gospel, and people coming to the Lord. And what did they do with their books? Their books on magic and the occult. They burned them, right? That was a way of saying, well, we have... Now we know who has authority. Now we know who has power and dominion. Now we know a name that is above all, all other names. It's the name of Jesus. We don't need these books anymore. 
Interesting, because in that time, invocation of spirits, you know, that was a common practice. If you want to know more about your family, you want to know more about your loved ones that have departed, and you want to know more about your future, you will try to invoke a spirit. And you will invoke spirits by name. So people will call blah, blah, blah. They will invoke that name. Here Paul says, Jesus' name. The name of Jesus. It's over. It's about, uh, above all those names. And when we invoke the name of Jesus, that's when things start to happen. Because he's the only one that has the power, the authority, and the dominion. So here Paul speaks about that victory, the victory of Jesus, something that we discussed before too. In verses 19 and 20, Paul states that this is the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. Hmm? The same power that rose Jesus from the dead. It is immeasurable great and the same great might that God displayed in the Old Testament. Jesus is the one to whom all authority in heaven and earth has been given. He is, at the end of the day, He's the giver of all power and authority. That's when we, under, when we read about the Great Commission, right? Go to the world and make disciples. It's like we forget that before that verse, there's a key verse that Jesus says. Jesus opens the Great Commission by saying, All authority has been given to me on, in heaven and on earth. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then, therefore, go and make disciples. Even more in Acts 1.8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. We tend to believe that, you know, that to be a witness is like a, an, an activity, right? I'm going to go to do a little bit of witnessing. But actually, no, it's our identity. We are witness of Jesus in this world. If we are part of his church, we are the living testimony of his power and, and his authority. This power is God's supernatural life-giving power, the very breath of God. And Paul, he wanted to experience that power, even up to the end of his life. In, the, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11, he says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So he, he wanted to experience, experience that same power. Please note that in verse 20 of Ephesians chapter 1, the Greek text actually uses the plural from the dead ones. In other words, Jesus' resurrection is just the uh, inauguration of the final resurrection. Because He is alive, we are alive in Him, and we also will experience the resurrection of the body. Verses 20 and 21 are, are key pieces of the doctrine of Jesus Christ's ascension too, because here Paul says that Jesus have been, have, uh, he had been seated now at the right hand of God. So the position to a ruler's right was a position of great honor and authority. And to be seated at God's right hand was to be enthroned as ruler of the cosmos, even if not all his enemies had been destroyed. But he is still the ruler. And he is still the name above all names. 
Jesus Christ is sitting in God's throne and rules over all. And from the heavenly places where we are also seated with him, he rules over all the rulers and authorities, over all power and dominion and above every name that is named. So the supremacy of Christ, as described by Paul in these verses, is above all these names. And as he says in the book of Philippians, every name needs to bow before the only name that has the authority, the power, and the dominion to rule. So Paul speaks about Jesus' lordship in this age and in the age to come. Finally, verses 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Verses 22 and 23. Here Jesus, uh, we see Jesus as the Lord of all. Because he's the Messiah. He has cosmic lordship. And his ascension and exaltation, Jesus Christ has been crowned as head and Lord of all creation, but he is also the head and Lord of his church. And uh, that's that ter- terminology, that Jesus is the head of the church, means that we uh, submit ourselves to him. So God is uh, working out this plan of submission. All creation will, will submit to, to Jesus. At the end of, you know, at the end of the age, all creation will submit to Jesus when he will come and he will establish his, his kingdom. So for Paul, the church filled by Jesus fills all creation as ambassadors of the Messiah. We are working you know, for that purpose. We serve God for that purpose, to manifest the glory of God for the praise of his name and to manifest his kingdom, to advance his kingdom on this earth. And that's the fullness that was prophesied by the prophet Habakkuk, where he says that all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. How, how is that happening? Through the proclamation, the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the proclamation of the name of Jesus to the nations. The earth is being filled with the glory of God. That's already happening. But it will have its culmination when, when Jesus Christ, with Jesus Christ, returned to earth. See, it's interesting here because this is the first mention of Paul in the book of Ephesians about the body of Christ. And it's a reference to marriage. Actually, the Bible's a story about love. It starts with Adam and Eve, a couple, and ends with the bride and the Lamb of God. We are united to Jesus because we are his bride.